Get your Bibles out. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. We're moving our way through chapter 5 here. We're going to get into chapter 6. God willing, next time we survive another week. Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. It's finally the day that the ladies have been waiting for. Husbands, love your wives. Are you live out there? I'm just, all right, that's better than first service, I'm telling you, it went downhill from there, so. Father, we just thank you for the word, uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is a blueprint for our conduct, and our conduct matters because people are looking at us and deciding what they think about Jesus, because we say we're Christians, so this morning we're going to talk about husbands loving their wives, let's just thank God for the word, I'm going to read you verse 25 uh, to 33, right to the end of chapter 5, and then we're going to jump in and find out how all of this applies to our daily living. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that you love us and our conduct matters and you want us to reflect who you are to a world that so badly needs to see Jesus. So, Father, we pray this morning that as the word goes forth, it would touch our hearts, and Father, where we need to make changes and adjustments, where we uh, begin to see truths, Lord, that we need to apply to our daily living, that we'd have the courage to do those things. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Amen. So chapter uh, 5, verse 25, very simply, it starts off, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband." So let's unpack all those verses this morning, amen? There's a lot in there. Very uh, clearly and powerfully, the text starts off here with a command. And remember, when God tells us to do something, it's not an option. It's not, you know, if we feel like it or if we want to be super, you know, heavy-duty Christians. When God commands us to do something, it's a command, hello? He gave us the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. Ah. And so this is a command, and it's very clear. You don't need to know Greek or Hebrew or be a scholar or do a word study. Very simply, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives. It's so simple. It's such a simple command. Now, we have to love our wives as men. As godly men, we love our wives. Now, if you picked a a good woman, this is easy. It's so silent. The oxygen is being so... I have no problems loving my wife. In fact, 28 years we've been married, 
It's, it's amazing. She, to me, is aging like fine wine, and I just love her more than actually when I first met her, which I didn't think was possible. But if you chose well, and ladies, I remember, I told you, pick a good husband, amen? Husbands, pick a good woman, because if you do, it's easy to love such a woman. So it's a command, amen? Love that godly woman that God gave you, amen? Now, when it says to love them, it's a command. So what does that mean? There's no conditions attached to it. See, people put conditions attached to love. Well, I'll love her if she does this. I'll love him if he does that. Listen, we can't attach conditions to love. God says to love our wives, even when they're difficult, even when they're emotional, e even when they're, you know, they're moody. Hello? You know what I found out after 20 years of marriage? I'm annoying too. <laughs> Hello? Right? And I'm, I'm just, you know, marriage is basically two annoying people with rough edges coming together and loving each other. Come on. Come on, this is going to go a lot easier if you don't look like statues out there. Just, I mean, even if it hurts, clap and say amen. Do it in faith if you got to. So no conditions, no excuses, you know, to love. It's just a decision. Love is not a feeling. Love is a decision. We make the choice to love. And God tells us to love our wives. So you say, Pastor, how are we supposed to do this? Well, the text answers that question right away. It says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if we want to know how to love our wives, the text tells us all we have to do is follow Jesus to the cross. Jesus laid himself down for the church. Aren't you glad about that this morning? Amen. Look, Jesus gave his life so you and I could be saved this morning. He literally gave himself for the church. And this is our example here. Jesus gave up everything for his bride. Now, uh, what, what happened when Jesus left heaven to come down to do the Father's will? Well, he left his Father's side. He left the comfort and the security of being there, of being fully God, of being part of the Trinity, and he came down and he took flesh upon himself. Now understand something. Jesus risked his own comfort and his own well-being for his bride. And that's exactly what God requires of men to do, to follow Jesus to the cross, to risk their own comfort, their own well-being for their bride so that we can lay down our lives for them as Christ did for the church. Now, listen to this. Putting the needs of others above our own needs is what makes us godly. Amen? You see, putting the needs of others... Now, as a single man, I didn't understand this because it was, you know, I was young and it was all about me. I got married at 23, and you know, as a single 23-year-old man, I thought I was a good guy. I didn't think I was selfish until I got married. And then I realized, wow, I'm too self-centered. I've got to die to myself, and I've got to give myself to my wife because I need to think about her needs more than my own needs. You see, and then you think, well, I got this marriage stuff down here. My wife looks happy, and she hasn't tried to poison me lately, so I'm doing good. But, you know, then you have children, and you realize, wow, there's another dying process there. Come on this morning. And what are we learning to do? We're learning to lay down our lives, and that's what makes us godly people. That's what makes us godly men. Jesus wasn't all about Jesus when he came to earth. He didn't even come to do his own will. 
He came to do the Father's will. He laid down his life for the church. So husbands must lay down their lives for their wives. Now listen to me, guys. Here's the bottom line on verse 25. A husband can never love his wife properly if he insists on remaining the center of his own universe. (laughs) Some of you guys won't make a noise. Man, I should have brought a water gun today. A husband can never love his wife properly if he insists on remaining the center of his own universe. Now, here's the problem. The world around us men encourages us to be selfish. Hello, guys. Guys, I said the world around us encourages us to be selfish and self-centered and remain childish that we see grown men who have wives and families who act like children. They sit on the couch. They don't want to help out. They take no part in the spiritual leadership of the church. They want to just have the remote in their hand and eat their bag of potato chips and talk about their fantasy football league. Hello? That's childishness. And, And God needs us to grow up to be godly men, to put aside childish things and to not be so self-centered and to not be so selfish because if we give in to that, we can never love our wives properly. Come on, I'm preaching this morning. The great violinist Niccolo Paganini willed his prized violin to the city of Genoa. He said, you can have my violin when I die, but under one condition, that it must never be played again. The wood of such a fine instrument, while handled, wears only slightly. See, the the stresses of the strings and being played and the oils from the player's hands actually keep the wood alive. But when the violin is unplayed, rapidly it begins to decay. Paganini's beautiful, prized violin today has become a useless, rotten, worm-eaten relic. And so does every man that refuses to grow up and to become a servant and to lay his life down as Jesus laid his life down. God doesn't want us to be relics. God doesn't want us to be childish. God doesn't want us to be selfish. He wants us to be men of God who lay their lives down for their wives as Jesus did for the church. Now you say, Pastor, what's the best way to get this done? Well, I'm so glad you asked. The best way, guys, for us to get this done is this, is to crucify every bit of selfishness, self-centeredness, and childishness. To crucify it every day, to nail it to the cross, and choose to be the man of God that God has called us to be. Please say amen. Amen. Verse 26. We had so much fun in just one verse. And there's a lot more. Verse 26 shows us that a husband... And his love for his bride actually set the tone of the marital relationship. This is important. The husband is to be the head. He's to be the spiritual leader. He's to be the priest. And the way we love our wives, men, sets the tone for the marital relationship. It does it in two ways. And verse 26 shows us that. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having not spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he would be holy and blameless. Let's stop there. Look, a husband's love, what? Is to sanctify and cleanse his wife. Let's just take a look at that here. What does it mean to sanctify? The word sanctify means to set apart for holy use. 
If God calls you into ministry, he needs to sanctify your life. What? He needs to take you out of the world, bring you into the kingdom, and set you apart for holy use. In the Old Testament, in the temple, the, all the implements and all the things that were used in the worship of God were set apart. You, you didn't use, you know, the utensils that you used to worship the Lord with. You didn't eat with them when you were done. Okay, so they were sanctified. They were set apart. So what does that mean? It means that a husband's love sets his bride apart. It sets them apart, and it makes the marital relationship holy and stable, and it can be built on a foundation of love. Listen, the only foundation you can build your marriage on is love. And love sets apart and sanctifies. The husband's love does that for his bride. Listen to me. A man who will not publicly profess his love for his wife by a way of a marital commitment injects a lethal dose of disrespect, insecurity, and uncertainty into the relationship. When... Kim and I were dating and she was mine. Everybody knew it. Anybody love their wives? And, and when you love somebody and you are committed to them, even in the dating relation, then when we got engaged and then when we got married, look, that public declaration of love sets apart the woman. When, when a man won't commit, when he won't make that commitment, it's disrespectful to the woman. It breeds insecurity in the relationship because there's an uncertainty there. Listen, this is why living together is such a bad idea. You know, this generation now lives together. What does that mean? Get together, play house, pretend you're married, and the the world calls it cohabitating. People now live together more than are getting married. And that's a problem. And, you know, they they give it a nice name, cohabitation. Doesn't that sound nice? We are cohabitating. No, you're playing house, you're shacking up, you're violating God's word, you're living together. And cohabitation, if you study the statistics of it, brings a greater risk of people who live together before they get married are exponentially more uh, prone to have problems, prone to have divorce, prone to have all kinds of issues. Why? Because when you start on on a foundation of rebelling against God's word, it injects all kinds of unhealthy things into the relationship. Uh, The lack of commitment from the man in the marital relationship suggests something to everyone around, that he's not completely committed to this woman. And that's wrong. She's giving him everything of herself, and his commitment is, well, if I find, and it suggests this, well, if something better comes along, uh, there's no strings attached. God never meant the marital relationship, the marital bed, the sexual relationship to have no strings attached. And our generation has uh, continued to error and continue to sin to the the point where now it's the norm that more people just live together than get married. Cohabitation is destructive to the family system. Listen to me. A man who loves his wife correctly lets her and everyone else know that she's his chosen bride, that he cherishes her, that he honors her, that he's forsaken all others for her and is fully committed to her for life. God's way works, people. And I don't know why it's so quiet right now because we should be championing these things for a dark world, amen? Amen. Yet it seems like the church has some catching up to do on what God said to do. Uh, We live in a world that just refuses God's truth and does it their own way. And look at the destruction we have created even in our own nation. 
we live together, we, we produce children out of wedlock, we, that produces all kinds of problems in children, a higher crime rate, a, a higher incarceration rate. I mean, we do it our way and we make a giant mess and we wonder why. It goes back to us men. We have to lead, we have to make the change, we have to honor God, we have to be men of God. And that's the only thing that'll turn our nation around. So it says, so that we may sanctify her. And remember, our love sets her apart, lets everyone know that she's ours, and that marital commitment brings stability into the relationship. It also says, cleansing her by the washing of the word. You see, God has commanded the husband to be the spiritual leader and priest of the home. That's our job, guys is to be the spiritual leader in the home. Now, listen to me, a a lot of us in our generation have abdicated that role, and maybe we we don't take the lead, and we kind of shrink back, and God wants to reverse that so that things can change in our homes and in our nation. So what does a man who leads in the home as a priest do? Well, what does a priest do? Number one, a priest advocates for those under his covering. A godly husband loves his wife enough to spend time on his knees praying for her. Amen. Husbands, are you praying for your wives? Just Charles, one clap. See, we need to be praying for our wives. We need to be praying the word of God over her. Every morning when, you know, my wife leaves and I'm doing my devotions, I'm praying God's blessing over her, God's protection over her, God's blood over her, that she would flourish, that she would have a good day, that she would be, come on. Amen. You're not just swallowing your coffee and listening to talk radio in the morning, are you? We've got to pray. So a priest advocates for his bride. Uh, what else does a priest do? He teaches the word of God by word and deed. You and I, as men of God, have to have the word in us. Well, that only happens if we spend time in the presence of God. And out of the overflow of that, we should bless everyone under our covering, especially our wives. Husbands, pray for your wives and then get a word from the Lord for them and and encourage them with it, amen? So a priest advocates. He teaches by word and by deed. We can't just talk it. We've got to live it. A priest advocates, he teaches, and he also upholds the practices and standards of the Lord in his own life and in his own home. You and I need to be the spiritual leaders in our house. We need to be the ones who are promoting spiritual growth in our homes, and we need to especially cover our brides with our love by laying our lives down for them. Now, verse 26 uh, suggests that there's a cleansing effect that happens when a man loves his wife according to God's word. And I want to take a look at this. It says, so that he might sanctify her. Okay, we understand that's to set apart with our love, having, a clean, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What's the cleansing effect here? I feel the Holy Spirit revealed something to me that's really powerful here. When a man loves his wife enough to obey Christ to serve her and to lay his life down for her as the spiritual leader in the home, it has a cleansing effect on the heart of his bride in three ways. The first way it cleanses her heart is this. It frees her to be who God made her to be so that she doesn't have to fulfill every role, but just the role that God has given her. 
Now, I know you're writing down a lot of stuff, and it's good here, but listen to me. God has gifted women to do certain things and men to do certain things. I'm not going to talk about roles today. You guys have probably sorted that out in your own home. I know we've sorted it out in mine. But listen, I want to say this. A woman does not have to do everything concerning the house and the family. Hello. Let's just sit down and have a little chat here this morning. I see too much in our culture, and now ladies are going outside of the home to work. Why? Because, you know, uh, we, we've got to the place where our government takes so much, you need two people working, you can't have someone at home anymore. One salary doesn't support a family. And it's a whole other sermon about greed and, and, and problems. So, but le- now the ladies are outside of the house, so now I see too many ladies who are out working, then they come home, and they cook, and they clean, and they do the dishes, and they do the laundry, and they help the kids with the homework, and they do, uh, you know, they drag the kids out to the church, and they're getting them out on Wednesday, and they're bringing them to their activities. I see too much of the ladies doing it all by themselves. Now, when a man steps up and acts like a man and puts aside his childish ways and serves his wife and lays his life down, now there's two partners working together so that the woman can be and do what God created her to be and do, and there's a blessing attached in that that just, you know, cleanses and purifies her life. Ladies, wouldn't you like to just have to do what God's called you to do instead of do everything? Let me hear something. Number two, it allows her heart to be healed of any negative baggage she's accumulated at the hands of ungodly men. Now, you really need to hear what I just said. When a husband sanctifies his wife and when he purifies her, it has this cleansing effect. It allows her heart to heal from any negative baggage that she's accumulated at the hands of ungodly men. Guys, do you know why so many women have a hard time submitting It's because they've been abused by ungodly men. Chances are when your bride walks down the aisle, she's coming with quite a bit of baggage before she gets to you, and God makes you one because she suffered the hands at the hands of ungodly people all kinds of things that have hurt her and hurt her heart and given her baggage to deal with. Sometimes it's their own father. Sometimes it's their neighbor. Sometimes it's a boss or a coworker or classmates. But women are very often abused and misused by ungodly men. And they have baggage. And they bring that into marriage. Now understand something. When you as a godly man begin to serve and to love and to lay your life down, you give her the opportunity to realize that all men are not that way and it begins to heal her heart and she can be free of the baggage and the scars and the brokenness that she's carried up to that altar before she became your bride. Well, hallelujah, a response. Number three, it blesses her with the peace of knowing she has a husband who loves Jesus and loves her more than himself. You see, every woman wants to know that she's loved and that she has a man of God that loves Jesus because a man that doesn't love Jesus, remember, the head of man is who? Christ. 
If I don't love Christ and I don't submit to him, then I'm, then I'm a wild child and she's under me and, and it puts her at risk. So when she knows that my husband loves Jesus and he, he wants to please him, she doesn't have to worry about what I'm going to do, what I'm going to say, or who I'm going to talk to, or what's on my cell phone, or what's on my computer, or where I am at night. Hello? A woman who knows that she's loved and that her husband loved Jesus, it has a cleansing effect on her heart. It has a cleansing effect on her heart to know that uh, she has a man that's going to lay his life down and it begins to heal the baggage and the scars. It's a, there's a cleansing effect that frees her to be who God made her to be and not feel overwhelmed by having to do everything. Verse 27, a husband who loves his wife reaps the rewards of his own obedience. Now, guys, you should get excited about this because this is a win-win for us. When I love my wife like Christ has commanded to me, the one who reaps all the benefits of that is me. I, I knew that. That's exciting, isn't it? <laughs> and what a blessing it is to reap those benefits. It says here in verse 27 that he might present to himself. Did you hear that? Who, who gets the blessing for a woman that's loved correctly and responds to him in godliness that he might present to himself? Jesus laid his life down for the church so that eventually he could receive the church as his bride. Jesus is excited about coming back for us, Pastor Mike. He's not lethargic or apathetic towards us. He's not saying, oh, you know, oh, my bride's coming soon. This is going to be a drag. That's really going to cut into my personal free time. Now, Jesus is up in heaven, John. He can't wait to split that eastern sky, to catch up the church, to be with his bride. He is yearning for us. The only thing that's holding him back is the long-suffering of God because he doesn't want to, that any should perish. So he's holding off to get her ready because it's a bride without spot or wrinkled. But right now, maybe we look a little spotty and we look a little wrinkled. Amen? But Jesus is excited to come back for his bride. He loves his bride. He laid his life down for the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Now, a husband who loves his wife in his obedience, he reaps the blessing himself that he might present to himself a church in all her glory. Oh, having not spot or wrinkled or any such thing, but is holy and blameless. And that's what we're looking for here, guys. Now, I say this at weddings a lot. Your marriage is what you make of it. Your marriage is what you make of it. If your marriage is a mess, understand, you got guys, as the head, as the leader, we've got to bear some responsibility in that. There's a story about an old or woman who was married for a long time, and she'd become very cranky with her husband because he was so unattentive and self-absorbed. So she decided to see how he would respond to her leaving him. So she wrote him a note. She said, I've had enough of your abuse. I'm leaving you for good. Don't bother coming after me. And she left the note on the dresser. She knew her husband would be home in just a few minutes from work, so she hid under the bed to see his reaction. Her husband comes walking into the bedroom. He goes to the dresser. She hears him pick up the note. He reads it. When he's done reading, he scribbles something down on the note, and he makes a phone call very quickly. He says, hey, pal, it's my lucky day. She's finally gone. He, he, he says, you know, she left a note that says she's not coming back and she's done with me. So call all the boys and come on over. We're going to play cards. We're going to smoke cigars in the house. We're going to watch sports all night. It's going to be a great time. He picks up his keys 
He gets in his car and he leaves. The wife is angry. She has tears in her eyes. She gets out from under the bed to see what he wrote on the note, and the note said this, I can see your feet. We're out of bread. I'll be back in five minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Your marriage is what you make of it. You know, sometimes, guys, we're rough on our wives. Hello? My wife doesn't like, uh, you know, to be tickled, so what do I do? I tickle her. The other day, she was standing in the kitchen working hard, so I got something cold out of the refrigerator and put it on the back of her neck. I scare her when she comes around corners. Come on, don't look at me like you don't do that. I tighten all the jars in the house. So she, No, I'm just kidding. You know, we can be rough on our wives, and your marriage is what you make of it. And so as we're being rough on our wives, really we're making things more difficult for ourselves. You know, look what it says here. The church is going to be in all its glory, without spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless. Isn't that powerful? Well, you say, Pastor, my wife's cranky, and she's cold, and she's mean as a rattlesnake. Yep, and I bet my last biscuit, buddy, that you made her that way. (laughs) Amen? Because when she came down the aisle, she wasn't like that, was she? But through years of you, look what you created. Now, I know some of this stings a little bit, but understand something today, that God wants us to make adjustments in our lives so that we can reap a better reward, amen? A husband that loves his wife is going to reap an incredible blessing. If you, if you treat her badly, if you don't meet her needs, if you remain selfish, if you can remain childish, yeah, she's going to get cold and cranky, and she's not going to respond to you the way you wish. So understand something. You are the initiator. You set the tone for the marital relationship in your home. Now, verse 28 through 30 really appeals to a man's vanity here. Because not only do we reap the reward of what, you know, we, when we're obedient to Christ, we reap this amazing woman who's an incredible gift, but it appeals to a man in a way that he can understand. Listen to verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Well, there's something we can do, guys. Right? And don't, don't sit there and pretend like you don't know what I'm talking about. Because the the reason God tells us to lay our lives down is because we uh, have a tendency as men, if we give into our flesh, to, you know, want to just be the center of our own universe. And, and, you know, we're in the mirror, we're flexing like this. I love myself. Very uncomfortable right now. (laughs) But the truth is God would have never said this if it wasn't true, amen? You know... He wants us to, you say, well, why should we love them as, because we are one flesh. When the two of us come together and God creates a covenant between us, the two of us become one flesh. We're going to talk about that in a little bit here. But he says, love your wife like you love yourself because she is your own flesh. No one ever hated his own flesh. You know, and think about this. When we talk bad about our spouses, whether it's the husband or the wife, we're really just insulting and demeaning and degrading ourselves. Women who want to get with their girlfriends and down talk their man and what a bum he is and blah, blah, blah. And and men who want to get with the, oh, my old lady and all this stuff. And just don't ever call your wife that. 
Don't ever talk down to her. Don't ever, you know, demean. Why? Because you're dishonoring God. You're dishonoring marriage. You're dishonoring yourself. It appeals to us in a way we can understand. Nourish her with patience and tenderness and encouragement. Husbands, your wives need nourishment from you. They need praise from your lips. Don't pick on her. Don't point out all her flaws. She does a thousand great things and she has a few shortcomings. Focus on all the good things, amen? Man, find something on your plate to be thankful for at night. (laughs) Cherish her, love her, nourish her. Treat her like the gift of God she is to you. And she'll blossom for you, and you'll reap the reward of that. Now, verse 31 to 32 is very simply, in a nutshell, leave and cleave. And let me just read this to you. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is what I'm talking about. This, is a mis- this, is, this mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also should love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So, you know, 31 is telling us that as men, when we, when we get married, we need to leave and cleave. And I want to say a few things about this. A man must be fully committed to his wife and establish his own household with his own spiritual covering, independent of all outside influences. Listen to me. That includes her family and your family. Man, man up, create your own house. Amen? And I want to say say this. We have no room for mama's boys in the church of Jesus Christ. We need men. Amen? Now, I love my mother. I have a godly mother. She's on the front row there. I got to watch what I say, okay? But I never, when I got married and I left and I established my own house, oh, even we live like, what, 10 miles away? That, that's my house, amen? I don't run home to mommy and say, mommy, you know, she doesn't make soup the way you do. Can you make the, can you? That's wrong. When you have, now my family's never try to insert themselves into that. And, you know, I have a godly mother and a godly wife. It works out easy for me. But listen, if you got family members that are trying to control your relationship, you need to man up and drive those things out. I don't care if it's going to hurt, if it's going to sting. You've got to do it. Don't you dare ever compare your wife to your mother. She's not your mother. She's your wife. Don't you dare ever compare the way she cooks. Well, you don't make the roast like mommy. You eat that roast and you say thank you, Jesus, for it, that you got someone who cooks for you, amen? Well, you, I've seen a lot of this. I've seen a lot. Well, you don't keep house and you don't do this. Did you want to marry your mother, buddy? You need counseling, okay? Leave and cleave, Amen. Your mother's tired of taking care of you anyway. Leave her alone. Can you fold the corners on the bed and make it nicely? Your wife is not your mother. Stop treating her like that. Don't you dare compare the way she cooks or keeps house to your mother. Grow up, man up, build your own house, and celebrate the uniqueness of the wife that God gave you. Amen? Verse 33 brings it all down for a landing. If any of us survived here, we get to hear this. And it says this, nevertheless, each individual you also, is also to love his own wife 
as he loves himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So that's the conclusion of the matter in the marital situation here. The bottom line is God's word calls for mutual respect, mutual obedience to what he's asked us to do, and it requires both the husband and the wife to do their part to make it a godly marriage. Listen, Full Gospel Center, if we are willing to honor God's word and to do these things, if we need to make adjustments, if we, if we are willing to do them, you're going to reap the rewards of your obedience. And what a pleasure and a treasure your spouse is going to wind up to be if we will just honor God's word. I'm telling you, it has a lot of room to get better in a lot of marriages. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for this teaching on Christian conduct. And Father, I, I thank you that even some of the things we have to hear that you've asked us to do give us pause and make us quiet and, and we feel uncomfortable because we need to make adjustments. So Father, where adjustments need to be made, I pray we'd be humble enough to do them and to see that your way works so wonderfully that we wonder why it took us so long to implement your truth. Father, let our homes and our marriages be a shining light and an example into a culture that has embraced everything but the word of God and nothing's worked. Father, let us prove to the world around us that your way works the best. By our obedience, I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give him praise this morning.